back at a regular time, 9 a.m. here on the East Coast. Uh, for no, those watching on. us live, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Um, I, I'm uh, a little tired, still not going to lie, JB, but uh, for good reasons here. Uh, the Glarity yeah. Show, aside from naming Jake Breitbach a new quarterback, uh, which we fixed in yeah. the subsequent versions that we've put Multi -talented. out. Multi-talented. Uh, yeah, he is. Uh, he's very good. There's no doubt about that. But uh, we had to put together an eight-and-a-half-minute intro, which is kind of a weird scenario because of the 20 semifinalists. But as I sat there doing it, I really thought to myself, you know, there was a time not that long ago when there were only about 30-something, low 30s, uh, nominations yeah. for the entire trophy. And we've been sitting here harping on this trophy for how many years now? Like, come on, schools, get your nominations in. Got to do it. Come on, yeah. you got to do it. And finally, finally, the floodgates open. And maybe it's the fifth-year scenario. I don't know what exactly led to it. Yeah. But 60-plus, and to have 20 semifinalists at that point, okay, you know what? We did some good work. So did Pat at uh, D3 Football to get this thing promoted. Mm -hmm. The Glarity Trophy uh, stronger than ever, I think, when you have that kind of pool of talent to select from, yeah. uh, not just as nominees, but semifinalists as well. What would you think of uh, the uh, list? We'll get to the specifics later, but, I mean, what would you think of everything yesterday? You know, I, I thought the I thought the show was fantastic. I mean, that, that highlight reel, starting off with, I mean, I still think, I mean, we have, we've, we've made a lot of great memories over the last 15 years doing this, but I know for you personally that, that um, Gallardi Trophy delivery that you did for Ethan Greenfield last year was probably up there in the top five and what, what a cool moment. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of miss the, the days of old where, you know, there would be like the, you know, the formal sit down dinner and the whole, you know, pomp and circumstance with the Gallardi Trophy. But there was something more organic about that. And so opening the show with that and then that fantastic highlight reel of all these great plays, um, you know, some of the videos even, you know, looked, fam looked familiar from our show. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I remember when Frank shot that or there might have been, um, you know, something of Tucker Horn that I shot. You know, it was funny. When I was at that Trinity Berry game where he went 26 for 33, I didn't realize he had that good a game. I mean, I knew that Trinity had to fought had to fight back to to win it, and it was a fantastic football game. But looking back on on what's happened this season, it was like, wow, I was actually there for one of the best um, you know statistical performances you could argue, you know, of the, of the season. So it's been a really fun year. Um, I think you know we've seen a lot of. A lot of great plays, a lot of great players, and you know, honestly, you know, at the end of the day, the, the the bummer is, is that there can really only be there can only be one. You know, there's only going to be one national champion. There can only be one Gallardi Trophy winner. The the semifinalist list of 20 guys, all of them are fantastic. All of them are deserving. Trying to narrow it down to four or five is tough, but you know, once again, if and uh, you know, it was it was funny because I I just saw. Dave McHugh um, tweet about this before. Can we just focus on you know congratulating the people who are finalists and not you know crapping on them and saying that so and so was a better quarterback or so and so was a better player? Maybe just instead say something like, "Hey, congratulations to these five. Your families and your programs must be thrilled for you. I really liked so and so too. You know, they didn't get they didn't get it, but hey, they had a great season. Here's all their stat like." Well, I don't understand. There's been this year like so much trolling and negativity. It's drive me nuts, and I just, I would really like next season to be a different story. And um, yeah, I think that's that's you know as Forrest Gump would say, that's all I got to say about that. 
<laughs> well, you know, it, this is why we focus to start the show on all 20 semifinalists and then end the show with focus on the semifinalists mm -hmm. again because when it gets down to it, yeah. it, it that, that's the whole thing. You are the elite in Division Three of 25,000 football players, give or take. 25,000, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, you are of the elite. And so that's the thing we try to focus on, honestly. And, you know, we hope, uh, as you said, that there's more focus on the accolades they deserve, the semifinals, and then ultimately the finalists. I, as I sit here, I still don't know who won. I have my guess as to who won, but I have not asked for the uh, details. I think we're Neither on. did Pat. Well, we've been I think wrong we're on the same page with that. I think we... Well, well, yeah, of course we have. I mean, you never really know until the, the thing is announced, but I think we know. But, who, yeah, we'll see. We will find out uh, next week. Uh, and uh, if yeah. it's somebody in the game, we're going to have to find a new way to do this because, obviously, a cat's out of the bag. If I start showing up at random locations, people are like, oh, where's my trophy? And that's not going to work very well yeah. <laughs> anymore. So uh, we'll uh, see how we're going to do this uh, next week down in Salem. Good to be back there for Stag Bowl 50. JB, Kurt Fitzpatrick scheduled to join us today uh, from Cortland, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, we're going to have a, a modified version of Crunch Time where we'll just kind of take it a little slower here and talk about the games, how we got to the semifinals we have, and uh, do the tail yeah. of the tape as always here. So uh, a great uh, hour, or maybe even a little short an hour today, uh, coming up here. It's Season 16, semifinal week upcoming of In the Huddle. Yeah, you know, so then season 16 is one for the books for uh, a lot of different reasons. We went from chalk, chalk, chalk to, what, three road teams winning in the quarterfinals, I think it was last week, out of four uh, games. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's an interesting uh, change of pace. Granted, that doesn't mean upsets necessarily, because clearly North Central True. was a favorite going to lacrosse. And, you know, yeah. you can say what you want about Cortland Alma. It, it probably was a pick em when you really looked at that game. Uh, on paper, at least, mm -hmm. and then Randolph Macon, Johns Hopkins, same situation. So the the road team doesn't necessarily mean underdog anymore, but still, no. that proverbial two and a half points uh, you get for hosting, uh, it's not necessarily playing out the way uh, those odds makers think it should. Anyway, you saw the quarterfinals last week. Your thirty thousand foot view of them. Well, I think we got um, one of the best quarterfinal weekends that we've seen in a while. I mean, I, I, I'd heard Greg Thomas from D3Football.com get asked, is, you know, is this the best we've seen? And, and he was struggling to, to, to think of, you know, prior years where um, the competition measured up. Because really we had two games that came down to three points. In fact, one was uh, kind of a game-winning field goal on the um, – on the final play, we had the uh, the shootout of shootouts between Cortland and Alma, which was 34-34 at halftime. I mean, it was just lights out, almost arena football style, just long touchdown here, long touchdown there. But the game was pretty close for the whole time. We had um, even North Central had to sweat it out a little bit, and it kind of took a fluky onside kick you know, 
ball that bounced right into D'Angelo Hardy's hands that he ran back for a touchdown to make that score look like that game wasn't as close as it really was because lacrosse was hanging in there and 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 Kaiser Helterbrand, um, a guy who's had a fantastic season, another Gallardi semifinalist, really was help, you know, f- helping his team stay in that game and really gave North Central probably their best game since they played Carnegie Mellon in the quarterfinals. I mean, I know everyone points to the, that sort of fourth quarter against Mount Union in the Stag Bowl, but I still feel like, over, like from a, a full game perspective, that that was really the, the toughest test they've had. You know, Wheaton fans may want to argue um, you know that they they give uh, North Central a pretty good run for their money, and they have in the in the past. But in recent playoff games, that was probably the, the closest call that the Cardinals have had in a while. Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm not going to re- reveal what I'm picking later, but uh, let's just say that I think the Wheaton game gave us a little indication, not a huge one. Uh, and then the Trinity game to a certain degree also. And now definitely in the lacrosse game. That the weakness, if there is a weakness for North Central, is the defense. That they can give yeah. up points. And so, sure. you know, can somebody stifle the offense too? Because a Wartburg team coming in Speak, defensively... Yeah. I just realized that one of the best games of the weekend was Wartburg-Whitewater, where I started off feeling, you know, kind of... Aha, looks like I'm going to go 4 and 0 this weekend cuz Whitewater is up 21 to 3. Not so fast, my friends. Owen Grover and company battle back and the Rockford brothers, man, those two, what a what a tag team combination that they had. One of them um, you know, leading the team with tackles, one making a key interception to basically seal the win for the Knights and this Wartburg team is for real. We had kind of been doubters, I guess. You know, we weren't necessarily sold on them um, with a few close calls in the ARC uh, conference race, and and their offense wasn't necessarily clicking all the time like we thought from last year. But here they are, second year in a row, back in the semifinals, and they have a, as legitimate a shot to knock off the champs as any other team, I guess. I mean, it's going to be a battle. You'll see in the tail of the tape. It it it'll jump right off the page. On you know, as far as what's you know what's going on in this one, but congratulations to the Knights! What a fantastic comeback! Um, and they're excited to host the semifinal game on Saturday in Waverly. Let me uh, take uh, the stage here for a second because uh, we're going to start on the right side of the brackets here. Uh, in honor of the fact we have a guest that'll be joining us in a few minutes, uh, he's already uh, in the queue, so that's good to see. Uh, no technical difficulties yet uh, on this show, but I'm sure we'll find a way to screw something up. Don't worry. But uh, it's not true, country, not true crunch time. There's my tec- technical difficulty. I can't talk. Uh, but uh, it's not true crunch time today. It is going to be essentially uh, just kind of a more laid-back version of going through the quarterfinal games. And so let's start on the right side of the bracket to talk about Cortland versus Alma. And uh, in the first quarter, a minute 22 into the game, Devin Frenchko gets a 47-yard touchdown pass from Carter St. John. We show you this because St. John was not in for most of this game. He got injured in this game, but they led 6-0 to at this mm. point, uh, Alma did. Cortland would answer Joe Ayadaveo, I believe is the correct pronunciation. A 15-yard touchdown pass from Zach Boyce tied the game at 6 apiece. Now, upcoming, we're not going to show you all seven touchdowns of the second quarter between these teams, but Zach Poff gets a three-yard touchdown pass from backup Trent Devereaux. 20-13 to 13 at this point, Alma with the lead. So, uh, a response comes from J.J. Lapp, uh, getting the touchdown pass from Zach Boys with 10.34 left in the second quarter to make it 20 apiece. 
This thing was just wild in this second quarter. We're going to go up to 56 seconds left in the second quarter. Jaden Alfano St. John, a two-yard touchdown run, gives Cortland a 34-27 lead. But watch this. 26 seconds later, just two plays later, Trent Devereaux finds Ty Lauterman for a 55-yard touchdown pass. 34 apiece, and mercifully, we go to halftime tied at 34 apiece. Cortland, though, turns it on. Third quarter, 13-1 left. Joe Ayadaveo, again, a three-yard touchdown pass from Zach Boys. Made it 41-34, Cortland. And then the defense for Cortland steps up. Here's third and goal for Alma. And Trent Devereaux is sacked by Nick Lordero. And the, he fumbles the ball. Anthony Luciano is credited with the recovery. And that led to a Cortland touchdown later. Capone gets a two-yard rushing touchdown. But later on in the fourth quarter, here's Cole Burgess with a 50-yard touchdown pass from Zach Boys. You know the rest of the story in this one pretty much. 58-41, Cortland beating Alma. And JB, uh, this game, honestly, when you look at it, as uh, St. John uh, did have 274 total yards, uh, one passing, yeah. one rushing touchdown. Zach Boys. Uh, 24 for 33, 400 yards, five passing touchdowns. I'll give you a second here to talk about this game before we go to the other uh, game in the right side of the bracket. But this thing was wild in the first half. But that Cortland defense making adjustments in the second half was the key to victory in my book. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you do the math, I mean, the second half, I think they only allowed, what, seven points? So whatever coach, um, you know, Fitz and company did it at, at, at halftime worked because uh, they were able to slow that um, explosive Alma offense down. Um, and yeah, because in the first half, they were kind of running wild on the secondary and getting open and scoring on quick plays. But really, yeah, the, the defense for, for Cortland came through. That uh, turnover that they forced was really critical. It allowed them to get that sort of two point uh, two possession um, cushion that they needed and, and basically kind of hung on from there. But what a fantastic um, college football game. I had that one up on the uh, big screen downstairs through the, the Alma broadcast, the YouTube thing, and it was really well done. Um, just a great, uh, great game. And hey, look, you know, look at first time ever Cortland Dragons are in the, the final four, the semifinals. They've, they've been in the playoffs a lot. I, it's funny, last week on the tail of the tape, I, I had the, and this is a common theme for me this year. I had the wrong information on the slides, um, what their playoff record was, but I was correct in that uh, Coach um, Fitzpatrick's uh, record was up there. It was, I think, 31-4 and four overall. Now he's 32-4, and four, so he's won 32 out of his last 36 games and has a chance to maybe get a little revenge on one of those four losses with a rematch. I mean, who knew that a rematch from round one of last year's playoffs would end up being for a trip to the Stag Bowl for both of these teams, Cortland versus Randolph-Macon in Ashland, Virginia. Well, let's talk about the other game on that side of the bracket, and that is Randolph-Macon at Johns Hopkins. This game wild as well. Second quarter, 48 seconds into it, David Wallace gets a 30-yard touchdown pass from Drew Campanelli to take a 7-3 lead for Randolph-Macon. We'll go to the broadcast uh, for the next highlight, and this is Mitchell Johnson getting a 59-yard touchdown run to extend that lead to 14-3 for Randolph-Macon, 8.40 left second quarter. So Johns Hopkins down by 11 points at this point in the game. Eventually, we will hear from Will Leger. Bay Harvey passes a 30-yard touchdown pass to him for a 14-9 deficit. Johns Hopkins trying to make up still at that point. But 
Randolph-Macon before halftime would get another touchdown. Queasy Clark, a 10-yard touchdown pass from Campanelli. That made it 21-9 at halftime. But Johns Hopkins would come back. Will Leger again from Bay Harvey. This 44-yard touchdown pass to the tight end made it 21-15. Johns Hopkins trailing by six points at this point. And then the defense steps up for Johns Hopkins as Drew Campanelli, as you see him here, he uh, looks to pass, is flushed out, and then off the back foot throws an interception. Oliver, Oliver Craddock with that interception. And that is major here because it would lead to eventually, with 7.06 left third quarter, Spencer Uggler's 27-yard touchdown run to give Hopkins a 22-21 lead, their first lead since 3-0 in the game. Third quarter, though, still not over. 42 seconds left, and again, David Wallace, a 28-yard touchdown pass this time from Drew Campanelli, would make it 29-22 in favor of Randolph-Macon. Back and forth we went as the fourth quarter began here. 11.32 left in the fourth quarter. It'll be Josh Pulsey with a three-yard touchdown pass from Bay Harvey. That would tie us again at 29 apiece. Four minutes later, though, Mitchell Johnson once again with a long touchdown run, this time from 43 yards. It's 36-29, Randolph-Macon leading with 7.24 left. And then, eventually, Johns Hopkins with a 12-play, 5-minute and 46-second drive on fourth and goal as Bay Harvey just stick the football over the goal line, and he is credited with a touchdown to tie it. They do not go for two. They tie the game 36-36. Randolph-Macon would get the ball back. They would drive down the field. Kyle Illy with the 34-yard field goal attempt as they had to rush the field goal unit onto the field. And he just tucks it over the left upright. Video shows, in uh, other video, that it was indeed good. And that would give them a 39-36 lead. One final opportunity for Johns Hopkins coming up here as they credit the scoreboard. And you can see the ball bouncing on the kickoff. And they try to do the old lateral game in the... Uh, about two or three laterals into this, you're going to see the ball get knocked yep. away, out of bounds. The celebration will ensue for Randolph-Macon on the road. And it's 39-36 final, Randolph-Macon beating Johns Hopkins. And in this game, uh, it was Bay Harvey, 33 for th uh, 44, 367 yards, three passing, one rushing touchdown and an interception. Randolph-Macon's offense rushed for 255 yards, though, with Drew Campanelli getting three passing touchdowns and just an, uh, one interception in the game. JB, a uh, great uh, job there by Randolph-Macon. Uh, but, hey, the resilience of Johns Hopkins in that game, down 21-9 to yeah. at halftime, able to come up to 22-21. Got to say to uh, Greg Chimera's team, great try. But, obviously, Randolph-Macon, mm -hmm. the better in that game, in a very deliberate-paced offense, it felt at times. It was Drew Campanelli throwing a lot of balls away, I don't know, you know, yeah. exactly what the philosophy was. We asked them in the post-game press conference, you know, live to fight another day, I guess, to a certain degree. But they definitely didn't want to make a mistake, it felt like. And knowing that you saw the back foot pass get intercepted by Oliver Craddock in that, in that highlight package. They didn't want to make those types of mistakes. And that was pretty much the only mistake he made all day. Yeah, and I had a feeling that um, Campanelli would have to have some passing touchdowns for them to be able to win this game. I thought that Hopkins would bottle up or at least focus in on the run game. Um, you know, end of day, Randolph-Macon's strength has been the run all season. It has been for a couple of seasons now, and that big offensive line is a big reason for that. 
Um, but it did feel like, uh, you know, without Campanelli sort of finding little holes here and there when he had to in the defense and, and uh, making those pass plays that they probably wouldn't have won that game. So it was a very uh, balanced attack. And, you know, the Cortland Red Dragons defense is going to have their hands full with a team that's in, in certain ways very similar to, to what Alma brought to the table with a, with a great quarterback um, and a, a strong offensive defensive line that's going to make things interesting. Well, let's talk to Kurt Fitzpatrick, head coach of the Cortland Red Dragons. Already on the road, already, I believe, in Virginia. And, uh, Coach, uh, you saw the package there. Uh, I, I think you have a, uh, a statement you'd like to make first about how we use turnover margin as a very good indicator on this show of who should win <laughs> or lose football games. Uh, go right ahead. Let us know what you think about that. No, I, I, uh, I just like to give you guys a hard time. Um, I appreciate. I believe JB did it. did pick the Cortland victory, predict the Cortland victory last week. So, uh, props to you, JB. Um, no, I just think you know, playoff football is different. Um, turnover margin is accumulated over the course of the, the regular season, um, and we all know when you get to the playoffs, it's different football. You're playing very good people. It's a one. It's a yeah. one game season. You know. Um, you know what? How Elma played against some of the teams in their schedule had no bearing. You know. Their turnover margin against some of the teams in their conference have no no bearing on playing Cortland and ours. You know, turnovers are such a fickle thing. You know, and in a one game season in the playoffs, um, whoever wins the turnover margin in that game, I agree, has a great chance to win. But I don't believe that prior success or failures in turnover margin indicate the success or failure in that one game season. So. Um, I appreciate that, you know, I because I, it, it fired our players up. And our offensive goal last week was to turn the ball over zero times. And if we turn the ball over zero yeah. times, then we lose the turnover margin. So, uh, and then our defense forced some key turnovers, as you guys showed very well in the highlight package, which was a, which was basically the difference, the difference in the game. Yeah, yeah. The, the third, fourth well, quarters, uh, uh, JB, uh, you go ahead. But I just want to say that defense, the way they turned things around with the adjustments, was incredible. But go ahead, JB. Well, yeah, I was going to ask a little bit about that, so it was a good lead-in. I mean, what what did you tell the guys at halftime? I mean, you had like this crazy back and forth. Um, you know, was what sixty-eight point first half, um, and you know, you guys gave up a touchdown on two plays with under a minute to go. What did what what did you kind of talk to the to the and and you were you know giving up touchdowns to the backup quarterback? I mean, how did you guys kind of keep your heads on straight and not get um, a little dejected or a little? Um, a little frustrated. I'm, I'm sure you were frustrated, but what was what was sort of the message at halftime? I'm like, okay, guys, is it a new ball game? Because it's basically zero zero. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it would have been easy for us to kind of sulk defensively and and hang our heads, but the reality was, we're in a football game, and we talk about you know every coach in America probably talks about playing 60 minutes, and you got to play four quarters yeah. and make it a four quarter game. Well, if we're going to talk about that stuff, then in moments of adversity, you know, when you're up by four touchdowns at halftime, it's that you don't need you don't need to come together at those points. Um, but we needed to rally at, at halftime. You know, Alma, credit to Coach Couch and their offensive staff and their offense. They that, that's a tremendous offense on that. Uh, they play with tempo. They're a very fast, fast-paced team. They play with tempo that's hard to simulate. You know, we're a no huddle offense, but we don't choose to go as fast as they do. So it's. You know, it's, it's hard for our defensive guys to simulate. We were playing with some with some young players, too. You know, we had a freshman safety, yeah. a true freshman, making his first start in the secondary. 
and you know it was it was rough out there in the first half in some moments um sure. you know and, and credit credit to Alma for making it as hard as they did on us um but at halftime we just wanted to regroup and just because they scored 34 points the first half didn't mean we had to let them score 34 the second half we just had to play one drive at a time and trust that you know our offense was that our offense was going to keep scoring we just got to find a way to win by one point uh, that that's what we always talk about and i think in playoff football that's what's the most important is not not the stats, but just finding a way to finish with one more point than the other team. Uh, where did you find Joe Ayadeveo from? I believe that's the way you pronounce it. Uh, and uh, yeah. where has he been all season? Because uh, he was a very important uh, guy in this whole victory with those uh, two touchdowns that we showed in yeah. crunch time. I don't know if you had a third one three. or not, but uh, the two that we three. showed, yeah. it was three total. Uh, that may foretell uh, a JV MVP type of scenario later. We'll see what happens mm-hmm. with that. But where did Joe come from? Uh, Joe Iadivio is, is how you, is how you pronounce it. I think uh, hard to pronounce. Joe is a, is a, is a terrific young man. Um, he's a story where you know he was um, as a very talented player, playing edge high school on Long Island, uh, tremendous all Long Island uh, caliber player. Um, and he's he's a great example of just working and waiting your turn to play. You know, he was behind the depth chart, behind Rashad Tucker and C.J. Messina, basically for the last two years. Joe's a sophomore. Um, I we always felt like he was a starting caliber player and just needed an opportunity. Um, I had a couple injuries to Rashad and C.J. Uh, and Joe stepped right in and and you know has we haven't missed a beat with him playing playing in the slot for us. Um, so he, you know, we knew he was a good player all along. There was just, you know, some guys ahead of him, um, and and you know, Joe, to his credit, was ready to go. He's a great teammate, plays tough and physical. Uh, you know, when we we have you know Burgess and Lap get a lot of attention out there on the field, and so you know, when Joe got his opportunities, he he capitalized and such a big a big game player. Plays great on special teams too. Stuff that guys don't really get credit for a lot, but he's covering kicks and punts and. You know, doing all doing all the the kind of the gritty tough things that we need uh, for our team to be successful too. So just very happy for Joe. You know, he's he's a he's a great young man, great family, um, and uh, uh, just happy for him that he was able to deliver for our team last week. Well, yeah, and he 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 did, and we'll talk a little bit about more him, uh, a little more about him in a little bit. But coach, one of the things, I mean, each each season is is in and of itself. They're it, you know they're they're unique, um, different guys because players come and go. And now with what we're seeing already in the transfer portal, that I mean, every year might be just a, a totally different deal. Um, you know, keeping guys for four years um, maybe a thing of the past. Uh, that that. Uh, it's just kind of the, the world we're living in. But did you ever think, and you know, now that you're back in Ashland, that that game from last year's playoffs, like here we are again, um, is there, you know, is that sort of ironic? How does the team feel about basically having a kind of a, a quote unquote second chance here um, to, to take care of the Yellow Jackets? How, what, what's, how are the Dragons feeling right now to be back in Ashland? I mean, we're, we're excited to be playing in the semifinals, no matter who we're playing. Um, it's, it's kind of, you know, funny how it all works that, you know, that the dealing with that loss last year, um, was kind of a catalyst for this season and this team and, and, you know, kind of was a launch pad for, you know, knowing what we had to get better at and, and, uh, kind of the motivation for, for trying to 
to, to grow as a team and to be able to win tough games on the road. And I think we did, we did, we, we were better this year for having lost that game. Um, I, revenge factor. I don't, I, I don't know if our players see it, see it like that necessarily. I mean, I'm sure they're, they're excited to, to play. We're just, we're excited to play anybody at this point. Um, Randolph Macon's a terrific team. Holy cow. They're, they're, uh, they're as good up front as any team I've seen in, in a few years, their offensive line, they run the ball with physicality. Um, very, yeah. very sound on defense. So, you know, it's, um, our, our players are excited to play, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're familiar with their stadium and, and, and kind of the setup down here. So that, that part is actually, you know, pretty convenient um, because we yeah. know what to expect. But it, the inconvenient part is that Randolph Macon is very good. So uh, they're they they make it hard. <laughs> coach Aruza is a very very good football coach, and yeah. their staff does a great job. They're a hard Absolutely. team to play against, and they're very deserving to be here, as I believe we are as well. So uh, going to be going to be a great football game. Well, we're going to look at your favorite part of our show here, our tale of the tape, and uh, maybe I'll leave one of these out uh, at this point. Uh, but uh, let's look at the, uh, how this matchup does uh, go here. Uh, offensively, you have a slight edge, but, I mean, that, that's barely anything there, about 500 yards per game for both of you, which is incredible for an entire season. Uh, defensively, uh, you give up a few more yards, 64 yards, uh, basically. Uh, but you look at this quarterback comparison, and Zach Boyce with 44 touchdowns, eight on the ground, uh, and five interceptions versus Campanelli's 25 uh, in five interceptions. Although, as you pointed out, their running game is a different dynamic compared to yours uh, to a certain degree. Turnover margin, <clears throat> uh, 14 to 18. We won't even talk Skip about that it. Uh, but uh, point <laughs> differential, uh, you know, plus 35, plus Not 28. Good. But there is an argument to be made that your schedule may have been slightly more difficult during the regular season uh, than their schedule, although there's always arguments about yep. Region 3, Region 2 situations like that and whatnot. But, you know, it's a very even game on paper, Coach. It really is. Yep. And how does this team compare to Alma, where you did end up getting some distance finally in that game? It sounds to me like what you were saying earlier, Alma, a much more lightning pace type of team, Randolph making maybe, at least what I saw last week, a much more deliberate type of team, it felt like. Kind of compare and contrast, and what can you take forward from last week and use this week? Uh, we definitely learned a lot from last week's game, uh, especially defensively, for sure. But um, I, you're right on the money there, Frank. They are – they're very – both teams are very effective offensively, um, but very different. Uh Tempo, you know, Randolph Macon is, is a little bit more deliberate. Elmo was all about tempo. They want to go as fast as they can. Um, there were times last week where the ball was spotted and they were snapping the ball within five seconds of the ball being spotted. Um, Randolph Macon is a little bit more deliberate. They're, you know, some different styles of plays too um, with their play action game, a little bit more concepts. Elmo was, you know, kind of a quick play action shot team. They have a very fast receiver in French Co. Uh, who we had to you know, gave us some problems, scored their first touchdown. Macon, Randolph Macon has an, uh, an outstanding receiver as well, and David Wallace, um, number seven, uh, about as fast as a receiver as there is in the country. Um, so there are some similarities, but a lot of differences too. They make it hard to defend. You know, both teams, uh, I said this last week in an interview, I think both teams make it hard to defend because you, you got to try to defend the run. And the and and a speedy receiver at the same time that you got to solve two problems yeah. at once, which is difficult and it's it's doable, but Take it puts a lot down. of stress on the on the defenders. Um, and so, and I think people have the same problem when they try to defend us too. You know, with our receivers and our running game, the combination, the balance 
uh, of Randolph Macon is 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 you know they pose some problems, and we're going to have to play great defensively up front, uh, led by our defensive line. Nick Lardaro had a great game last week. You know we're going to need our front our front seven to play extremely well, better than they've played all year um, to win this game, and, and I think those guys are excited for that challenge. And David Wallace, by the way, you point out in the post game, we learned that he gets mad when he doesn't get the ball, uh, basically uh, driving Drew Campanelli and Coach Ruza crazy uh, with the idea that, hey, I'm open every play or I need I've to get this ball I've never heard of a receiver replay. like that. Yeah, yeah I, I, I've never uh, either. I, I'm, I'm sure Cole Burgess is not that guy uh, out there. Yeah, we, uh, we may have a couple guys that have that mindset too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. JB, yeah. go ahead. Well, Coach, one of the things that really stood out to me, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek talking about the turnover margin thing, is that um, Zach Boys, who uh, maybe us guys on the show will remember, the, the current players may not have heard of, of a guy named Brett Favre, but Zach Boys is kind of like a Brett Favre quarterback to me because the, the way he makes plays and, and just the way he can throw the ball and find receivers and, and just, you know, con- a consummate gamer. Would you say that that was his best game of the season? I mean, he threw for like basically 400 yards. He had five passing touchdowns. I mean, it's an amazing um, – on the biggest stage, he really came up big. Zero interceptions, which in a, in a playoff game is always huge. What, was your, what were your thoughts on Zach's performance last Saturday? Yeah, he, he was outstanding last week. Um, I do think it was his best game of the year. Um, I think the Kortica Jug game being right there as well um, for him. Zach's such a competitor, and he – he was not happy with himself uh, throwing the interception in the fourth quarter against Grove City. Um, he's very, you know, he likes, he, he, Zach likes to be challenged. Um, he challenged himself this, this past week to be better than he was. You know, we were fortunate to get, that our defense forced a turnover right back against Grove City so Zach could have another chance to go down the field and, and try and, you know, punch it in to, to, to win the game, which, which we did. Um, but, yeah, the, last week Zach was great. You know, he um, – he was seeing the field well. He's like a point guard out there. I try to coach coach our quarterbacks to to have a point guard mentality, not a shooting guard mentality, and just be a distributor of the football. Um, he saw yeah. he was seeing the field very well, and um, you know when he's making plays, Favre is a good comparison. Uh, he's a big Josh Allen guy, though. Zach's from Buffalo, so Josh Allen's okay. his, uh, Fair his, his his guy. But you know, so us older older uh, older guys know know what Favre was like, um, gunslinger. Uh, fearless. Zach, Zach is like that. Very fearless. Yeah. Likes competition. He wants the ball in his hands, um, and he's not not afraid to not afraid to make any throw. Um, and if he makes a mistake, he's very uh, he's very com- self competitive. Uh, very self competitive. He mm-hmm. wants to right those wrongs and and to make up for it. Uh, so he's he's fun to coach for sure. So, Coach, I, I got to ask you, how are you going to kind of up the game from last week? Because uh, we, we have a uh, set of photos here from, uh, is this the big house uh, in Ann Arbor? Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, then yeah. also the Michigan facility uh, as well, it looks like there. Uh, you guys practicing in. There's Zach uh, going to throw in. Sweet. And uh, the guys overall just having a good time there. Uh, how did that all come to be? And what, what do you do for an encore down in Ashland for this? Oh, uh, <laughs> there. So down in Ashland right now, it's, uh, it's 60 and sunny out today. So we're not looking for an indoor facility necessarily to practice in. Uh, that's the, the, one, the one key of going down to Virginia. Uh, for a semifinal game is we don't get the Cortland Northeast weather. Um, But yeah, last week uh, it was an awesome experience. Um, 
we have a, a, a Cortland alumni who is who is very high high up. Um, Rob Rodemaker, very high up in the in the Michigan athletic department, um, who was able to hook us up with that. Another alumni, Connor Griffin, uh, cool. who uh, was able to show us around. Uh, Connor is a Cortland baseball alum, um, so it was awesome, you know, to be on the field, to be in that stadium. You know, it was it was great to see see the players. They were like um, they were like little kids again, walking down the tunnel and getting out in the field and you know, running down the sideline, throwing up the Heisman pose, like they're Desmond Howard, you know, all that stuff. Um, it was, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that, that's what it's all about. So we're, you know, we're competing and trying to win and advance in the tournament and do it, but we're also, you know, you can't lose sight of the fact that we're creating memories that these guys and our players and coaches will remember f- for the rest of their lives. So it was, it was, uh, it was great to be able to, to do some of that. Uh, and make it a great experience, and then win the game too, which was, uh, you know, kind of the cherry on the top. Yeah. Well, so I, I, I have one follow up here. Um, I, uh, I'm making the drive. I'm, I'm coming down, and this is a, a very odd scenario for me because I'm going to Virginia twice in a six day period, basically. But I do have to pop back up because I'm a politician or something, and I'm required to be at a meeting on Monday. <sighs> Uh, so uh, I am coming down to see this game. Uh, I've never been to Randolph-Macon, to Ashland before, uh, and I'm excited to see that. Uh, I'm excited for 60-degree weather as well. Uh, but more than anything else, I'm excited to see one of these two teams get into the Stag Bowl because this is, this is you know, the first of a kind uh, for us. And yeah. I, I want you to have an opportunity because I know you watch and listen to a lot of things out there. You're very astute with, uh, you know, your... Uh, in having all the knowledge of what's going on in this whole D3 world we're in. But there's a lot of crapping going on uh, on the right side of the bracket. Essentially, people are saying, uh, congratulations uh, to the winner of this game. You'll be the runner-up uh, in uh, the Stag Bowl and uh, leave it at that pretty much. What is your message to folks uh, that is kind of take that approach, that mentality here? Because there's a lot of it going on. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, oh, what would my message be? Um, you know, it's we, we try not to focus on that. I try not to focus on that. Obviously, you, you see some of that stuff, and you know, obvi- it's obvious that the you know North Central and Warburg are outstanding teams. Um, you know, I, I just try not to get into all that, and, and you know, I hope our my, our players and any player on on our side on on, on the side of the bracket that, that we've been on listen to that stuff because. You know, you don't want to suck the joy out of it for the players and 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 our players and Randolph Macon's players and all, all. You know, you don't want to you don't want to take away the joy of their accomplishment. Um, we try to in our program we talk about inputs versus outputs, and we want to be input focused. We want to focus on what we can control. You know, it's a cliche, but it's true. You know, we we can't control anyone on the other side of the bracket. We can't control Randolph Macon. We can't control what their fans say on Twitter or whatever. Um, it really doesn't. Do, doesn't matter to us. We're just trying to be the best we can be. Um, and if we do that, then we, we'll live with any outcomes. Um, you know, it, we're just trying to play the best game of the year, best our best game of the year tomorrow against Randolph-Macon. And if we're fortunate enough to move on, then we're going to try and play our best game of the year next week. And the outcomes are going to be going to be what they are. Our focus is on being the best we can be. Um, you know, the brackets are the brackets. Uh, we don't control that. Um, we just try to you – know, we're happy to be in the tournament and play who we play. And, you know, I, I, I just – some of the stuff I, I – for the players, I'm going to speak for the players on all teams, on, on you know, from the East. Um, 
these kids work extremely hard and are uh, work extremely hard to get here. Um, I just don't understand why, why people have to make it negative on, on social media or on, you know, on, you know, it doesn't, doesn't need to be negative. Celebrate your team. Uh, don't make it negative for anybody else. Uh, that's not what it's about. Well, coach, uh, you got a lot of community support coming here. Uh, and I, I got one uh, note here from uh, Cortland Mayor Scott Steve, uh, who wanted me to let you uh, know uh, in the statement, the city of Cortland is proud to recognize the hard work of Coach Fitzpatrick. His hard work and determination has allowed him the honor of receiving the American Football Coaches Association D3 Region 1 Coach of the Year. With this great coaching and dedicated, talented players, uh, this is a, has allowed our C-State football program to its first semifinals from downtown Cortland. We will be viewing and cheering them on with tremendous pride. Go Dragons! From Scott Steve, your mayor in Cortland. Got to cool. know him when I went down for the uh, Brockport game early in the season. Good to have that community support, I'm sure. Oh, it's awesome. Um, community's very excited. Yeah, they're they're closing down Central Ave in, in uh, downtown Cortland and having an outdoor watch party. Uh, big giant screen for the, for the community to come out and support. Um, it's just, it's amazing. You know, we're, we're, Cortland's a college town. Um, and uh, just to see the outpouring of support on campus and in the community is awesome. Our players feel that, our coaches feel that. So we're just trying to play our best to make everybody proud tomorrow. Coach, we, uh, we've held you long enough here. We appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy uh, the rest of that 65-degree day uh, down in Ashland. I will see you tomorrow. Uh, and we'll see who wins this game and gets to the Stag Bowl. Thanks, guys. I really, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good luck, Coach. Coach. Kurt Fitzpatrick joining us uh, from you beat Ashland, me to Virginia. it, Frank. <laughs> I was going to ask him the exact same question because I am sick and tired of hearing that the national championship game was last weekend. Guess you know, sorry guys, it's on Friday night on the on the fifteenth. I mean, there's still teams that are, and, and players and coaches that are working their butts off. I mean, yeah, maybe the maybe the end of the day, you know, it's. It, yeah. North Central is such a heavy favorite that, yeah, um, you know, it's a matter of time. But you, you, you can't take, you know, take away the – I mean, it's still a national semifinal game that these guys have worked their butts off since August. And, and talking to Coach Fitz, too, it's like th this, this game from last season's playoff was sort of the catalyst for this run that Cortland's on. So it even goes back, you know, like a whole 12 months in a year. You can't crap on that. That that's a that that is a legit thing, and so I'm I'm happy you asked him that question, and I'm hoping that people will realize that. And it sounds like someone's trying to burn my house down or mow it down or something. I don't know what's going on there. I, I so can I'm hear gonna, it too. I'm gonna go on mute for ew, yikes. Why 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 don't I tell everybody about the left side of the bracket and how we got to where we are now? And that'll take a few minutes while you go see what the hell's going on outside your house at this point, probably. But uh, let's first talk about North Central versus. Lacrosse first quarter 327 left and they they thought they had Joe Sacco they thought wrong uh, did lacrosse as Joe Sacco gets an 80 yard touchdown run should have been taken down for a loss in this play but instead look at him cross over there and get that touchdown for a 14 to 7 North Central lead then second quarter 411 left here's Charles Coleman getting a one yard touchdown run that made things a little interesting, not so much. Uh, 28 to 7 uh, in favor of uh, North Central. But here is what makes things interesting. One play later, it's Jack Struder, excuse me, Jack Studer getting an 80 yard touchdown pass from Kaiser 
Heltebrand. And that's a big play because it kept them in the ballgame, 28-14, lacrosse trailed. Uh, but look, North Central's Joey Lombardi and company say, we're going to take one more shot here before halftime. And this 21-yard touchdown pass from D'Angelo Hardy, as it was halfback option, made it 35-14 in favor of North Central at halftime. We'll fast forward to 103 left third quarter. Kaiser Heltebrand gets a one-yard touchdown run to make it 41-28 in favor of North Central. And then 11-19 left in the fourth quarter. You're going to see Kaiser Heltebrand just slice right through and then go straight to the sideline in celebration here as they've cut it to 41-35 at that point. And it's getting close. It's getting uncomfortable for North Central. But 5:02 left in the fourth quarter. Luke Lanen. Showing why he is a finalist for the Glory Trophy as he stiff arms and jumps and gets into the end zone. It's 48-35 in favor of North Central. Four and a half minutes later, though, Jack Studer, a two-yard touchdown pass from Kaiser Heltbrand made it 48-42. That meant that we would see an onside kick attempt here by lacrosse as this was their only hope left and you'll see D'Angelo Hardy cleanly field it and run it in because it wasn't a muff and as such it is advanceable at that point and it's a win by North Central by the final score of 50 well we'll see in a second here I think yes there it is 55 to 42 in favor of North Central Kaiser held the brand 436 total yards three passing two rushing touchdowns two interceptions though uh, and D'Angelo Hardy a rushing, a passing, kickoff return touchdown. Also had an INT on defense, I, I guess. Uh, I, I didn't see that one myself, but I'm going to trust JB on that information there. Then also we have Whitewater at Wartburg. Second quarter, 12-21 left. Whitewater's Tommy Coates gets a five-yard touchdown pass from Alec Ogden. Uh, and that made it 21-3 Whitewater. As JB said, he thought he had a 4-0 weekend right at this point. But Wartburg said, not so fast, my friend. Four and a half minutes later, it is Hunter Clausen Turbo with a 12-yard touchdown pass from Nam McLaughlin to make it 21 to 10. Then the defense steps up for Wartburg. No surprise there, I guess, as you're going to see Owen Grover chase down and swat the ball out, and it's landed on by Justin Grief, and that gives Wartburg an opportunity here toward halftime to make it closer. And Carter Henry gets a five-yard touchdown pass from Nam McLaughlin, make it 21 to 17. Whitewater still leading at halftime. We will go to the third quarter, 921 left, and Turbo, Hunter Clausen, with the one-yard touchdown run to give Wartburg their first lead of the game, 24-21. But Whitewater would try to come back in this game themselves. Fourth quarter, 8-11 left, Tommy Coates, a seven-yard touchdown pass from Alec Ogden, made it 28-24 Whitewater. We'd go deep into the fourth quarter, but Hunter Clausen, Turbo, gets the seven-yard touchdown pass on that big... A turnaround there by McLaughlin, 31-28. That really makes things uh, look like it's going to be Wartburg, but you can see Whitewater did advance to midfield, and Alec Ogden, you'll see he's out of the picture here, but eventually passes the ball in the, in the middle of your picture. It's intercepted. Preston Rashford with that interception. It ends the game. Wartburg wins in the comeback, 31-28, as Whitewater blows an 18-point lead in this game. And with 12.21 left in the second quarter, Turbo, 162 total yards, one rushing, two receiving touchdowns in the game. And JB, 
Uh, quite a, uh, a game that was, all the games had some drama to them. Maybe North Central seemed like they were going to win no matter what there, yeah. even though it came down to an onside kick to make sure it settled out. But the other three games really were in doubt until really the fourth quarter in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and, and it, it sort of followed suit that, you know, there were some much, you know, very competitive games on the left side of the bracket, just like we saw on the right. And for all you North Central fans that think that I hate you guys, look, I, you know, I even got the, I got the red on. So, I mean, we're not, we don't hate any teams. We just, we just want fans to, to be respectful, right? So I, I got my Cardinal red on, and this is actually a great shirt that, uh, that I got from, from Naperville. So thanks. And, um, you know, so this uh, quarterfinal round, you know, yeah, um, the, uh, the the Angela Hardy show was on. He did he, he intercepted a, I think it was like a, a Hail Mary pass at the end of the first half. So that's where he got this interception. But yeah, a, a rushing passing touchdown and the uh, basically kind of like a scoop and score on the um, onside kick attempt. So what a what a full run for him. And uh, I think there was an interesting article about about him in, I think, the Chicago Tribune or one of the local papers about um, all the adversity he's had in his life, you know, some losses in his family. And, you know, he's trying to potentially, you know, play professionally after his college career is over. He's overcome a lot, but, um, you know, close call for them um, with a, a awesome performance by the Eagles and Kaiser Helterbrand, who's been one of the best players in the nation all year. Um, you know, once again, though, we, we kind of joked with Coach Fitz about turnover margin. Um, you know, the couple, tur- the couple of interceptions, um, you know, probably didn't help uh, the, the Eagles' cause. Uh, but at the end of the day, a fantastic game there. And as Frank said at the top of the show, all very competitive games, two decided by three points. Uh, three of the four uh, winners were on the road. And, um, you know, we've got some familiar faces uh, with, with North Central making their fourth consecutive semifinal appearance, Wartburg's second consecutive. But, you know, we also have Cortland and, and Randolph-Macon with their first time. So what a great quarterfinal round we had. Um, some exciting games and can't wait to see what happens in the, uh, in the semifinals. But as we talked with Coach Fitz, we had to give um, this sophomore wide receiver, Joe Adia. How do you pronounce the name, Frank? Adiavo? Iadivo. I'm not going to mention Iadivo, I think he said uh, in his interview. Yeah. Iadivo, maybe. So this guy is like, you know, third or fourth wide receiver, um, you know, maybe even lower than that. It sounds like he worked his way up the depth chart from number five or six to catch three touchdowns and really um, keep Cortland in that, you know, shootout back and forth game a huge game for him and um you know that's that sometimes what happens in playoff games you know when you've got receivers like uh, lap and burgess i mean lap still had about 172 yards receiving and had a big game but it was uh it was joey here uh, i love the the diamond earrings in the in the in the um in the photo it's, those are those are pretty sweet uh who, who caught those three touchdowns which they needed every single one of those um in this game um for special teams, my uh, my MVP was the guy who kicked the game winner. Um, Kyle is it Illy or Isle? We've got some tough last Illy, names this week, Frank. And they're yep. <laughs> Illy. Okay, um, from Randolph Macon, and he might have to be called upon to kick a game winner again because I have a feeling that this Cortland Randolph Macon game is going to be tight all the way down to the wire. And then you know I had to, to kind of um, show some bro- brotherly love here, um, and it's interesting. I mean, there, there's the Grover brothers uh, on on the nights, and we also have the Rochford brothers. Uh, 
Parker had the big interception that sealed the win, and his uh, older brother, graduate fifth-year linebacker Preston, led the Knights with, I think, 11 or 12 tackles in the big win against Whitewater. Uh, once again, the uh, the Knights are, are back in the semifinals for the second year in a row, and those two guys plus the Grover brothers are going to have their hands full with this really great offense. And look at this, talking about close calls down to the wire. We each went three and one. Uh, so I've somehow managed to eke out a one-point lead um, for a couple of weeks now. But to be fair, and I'm going to my, my little notebook here, Frank has had the better uh, playoff run. You are 26-2 and two in your picks for the playoffs. I am 25-3. and three. I think technically at this stage in the season, I can't lose. Um, we can maybe tie, assuming that I'm making a couple of assumptions depending, but you know, could, it's going to come down to the wire here. We'll see what happens. Well, you're making an assumption on what we're going to pick, and that not, might not be true. So let's actually do what we're supposed to do well, here and okay. pick well, the game. You know what they say so assumptions not... do, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go to the first tail of the tape here uh, for uh, one of these games, and that's going to be North Central Wartburg. And uh, we, we did not run down this one. North Central uh, with about 122-yard advantage offensively on average. Defensively, mm -hmm. uh, basically a dead heat uh, within a yard of each other. Yeah. Uh, Luke Lanin with 54 uh, touchdowns, 11 on the ground, one interception versus 38 touchdowns and nine interceptions for Niall McLaughlin. So a few more mistakes there. Uh, 31 mm -hmm. uh, to 5 in terms of uh, turnovers for and against for North Central for a plus 26. 31-21 for a plus 10 for Wartburg. And uh, look at that. Point differential still for North Central plus 47.5. <laughs> Obviously last week sort of made things a little uh, closer in that realm, but not by much. Mm. Uh, Wartburg plus 30.9. And so, JV, the question of questions becomes here, who do we pick? And um, I'm going to say, I will start, I guess, on this one. Uh, first, that we need to stop cutting your head off. So make sure you, uh, you, you kind of uh, lower yourself there. Yeah, <laughs> that, there he goes. There he goes. A little production uh, right on screen there for you. On the left side, North Central <laughs> at Wartburg. Uh, I am going to go, I, I believe I actually have this uh, right up on my uh, screen here. North Central 41, Wartburg 30. And uh, here's what I write in quick hits. What we learned last week is that North Central does have some vulnerabilities on defense. This presented itself slightly in other higher profile games this season, but the lacrosse game magnified it a bit more. Yet, until a team can figure out how to dismantle the NCC offense, they aren't going to be losing a game this year. While I applaud the job the Wartburg defense has done this season, I don't see them able to keep North Central out of the end zone repeatedly. As a result, while I expect a somewhat close game, North Central will pull away in the second half and win this game. 41-30. What do you th uh, think? Well, what I'm just curious, and, and we didn't really talk about it much, but when you look at the tail of the tape, the, the, the thing that jumps off the page to me is that this uh, Cardinals offensive line helps them rush for almost 340 yards a game, and Wartburg's defense holds teams to basically 40 yards rushing per game. Something's got to give here. I um, you know, It'll be interesting to see if Wartburg can bottle up that run game and force Luke Lennon to either have to run the ball himself or maybe, you know, find Hardy or whomever he can that's that's open. Um, I think this will be a, uh, a challenge for the Cardinals, but at the end of the day, I think their offense is just 
a little too explosive, a little too a little too strong. So I will go with uh, with North Central to win it. Um, maybe a little bit lower scoring, like a thirty-eight to twenty-one type of game. <laughs> lower okay. scoring, right? Yeah, still sixty <laughs> something points total, but <laughs> lower scoring uh, for them when, look, they, when they put up if, sixty-two or on average or whatever. What was the total offense across the country in four games last season? Last weekend, it was crazy. Just crazy the amount of offense we saw yeah. on every game. Okay, right side, uh, Cortland, yep. Randolph-Macon, you will start this one. I'll put up the uh, tail of the tape. We already went over it, though, so we won't go into it uh, word for word here, but we'll have it on the screen for you. Who do you pick here in the Cortland-Randolph-Macon matchup? Yeah, this is interesting because when I did my bracket um, at whenever, you know, the end of week 11 when that came out, I had Randolph-Macon beating Mount Union in the national semifinals to go to the Stag Bowl. That's what I thought from day one, and so part of me is like, well, you should just stick with that pick. Um, they're the home team, like you said, that's like a two and a half point, um, you know, bump there. They've beaten Cortland once in, in the playoffs last season. You know, Cortland's had an amazing run, but can they keep it going? But then I watched this Cortland team um, just keep fighting and putting out. They've got so many offensive weapons. I. You know, at this point, uh, I feel like this game could go either way. I like the, um, I like sort of like a three-point margin. You know, I think it'll probably be like a 42 to 39 or a 45 to 42 type of game. I think there's going to be a lot of offense, a lot of scoring. Um, but for some reason, you know, I want to pick Cortland again because I got them. I was the only person, and I don't think anyone on D3Football.com picked Cortland last week. So I was right then. But I'm, I'm also sort of like, well, I've been, I, I picked Randolph-Macon from day one, so I, maybe I'll just stick with the, with the Yellow Jackets. Uh, no disrespect to Cortland. It's just one of those things. It's like the home team. Although, and then again, last week, all the home teams lost. I don't know, Frank. It's just, can I do a push? <laughs> no. Come on. I'll stick yeah, with It's not like guess, you're picking Macon. I'll, I'll stick with... Yeah, I will. Uh, maybe that'll help uh, the Dragons prove me wrong. Come on, guys. Let's see what you got. Okay, so I'm locked in when we come into this uh, situation because I write for quick hits, and I've got to stick with my uh, pick. I don't actually look hits. at that. I, 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 no, I, I, I know, but I, from time to time. I can't change. But, but I can't change right now because obviously I look like a fool more so than I normally yeah. do. Uh, but uh, so I, here is what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, then I'll tell you the, uh, who I officially pick uh, score-wise. Last week's games on this side of the bracket okay. were extraordinary, but we also learned some things beneath the fold. First, the Cortland defense was able to shake the game up at Alma, especially in the second half. True. Allowing just one touchdown after the first half score fest was a big difference maker. For Randolph-Macon, it was clear that the team is weathering injuries on the offensive side of the ball. As a result... I think this game plays out similar to how the Cortland-Alma game played out last week. Lots of offense and spurts, and an eventual ability for the Cortland defense to make enough adjustments to win the game. I have it as Cortland 40, Randolph-Macon 34. We have a difference here, and I can tie you this wow. week. okay. If they win. Yes, if can. they don't, you win it outright. Win. It's all yours. So this game will decide... Okay essentially how our pickums go for this season right here with the one game differential and that is kind of funny i, I had I was, a feeling you might go this way i was so I close too. to flipping 
Yeah. Well, I did. I, I, I have I just, them as, I in my uh, surprises and disappointments as one of the final four teams. But when you go watch the game and you notice certain things, like Drew Campanelli threw a ball out of bounds on a fourth down play way off. And I think there's a little... I, I understand, you know, fighting or living to fight another uh, down type of situation. But even on a fourth down situation last week, throwing that ball away, I don't mm. get it. And there were a lot of opportunities for him uh, to, you know, maybe make plays on an extended play with this offensive line. But he did throw balls away. And I don't know what's going on there. And obviously, it's it's chronicled that their running back situation has a little of injury uh, situation in there, too. So I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at Cortland, who seems to be, at least offensively, pretty well Peaking. Yeah, he healed up. Yeah. Zach Boys and J.J. Lapp and uh, Aya DeVio, I guess, or whatever, uh, however we pronounce his name, we'll mm-hmm. get that right eventually. And, uh, you know, Lapp and yeah. uh, Burgess and all that. I feel like I said Lapp 13 times, but maybe whatever. Uh, but and then having St. John. Gina, final St. John. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. I mean, hey. That's... That's that's the whole thing. You've got so many weapons there, and even if they had an injury, maybe except to Zach Boys, they could continue to do what they they do. So that's why I kind of have changed. You know, now the playoffs are being played out that way. Who I'm going for? But hey, yeah, I could be wrong. I, I, and I think it would be it would be awesome to have an upset. Yeah, I, I would love it if there was an upstate New York team in the Stag Bowl. I mean, when was the last time that happened? The Ithaca or Union in the late 80s, maybe? Um, I know Union played in like 89 or something like that. Um, one of my uh, good friends growing up, his, his older brother played for that Union team um, that made it to the Stag Bowl. So it's been a long, long time. I think, was it um, 2003, maybe, when um, the Cardinals of St. John Fisher made it to the Final Four that one year? It's been 20 years since we've had a East team, you know, go this far in, in the tournament. So I'm excited for it. I would love to see, um, you know, Cortland go to the next round. I guess I'm, you know, I'm just trying to, uh, who knows? I probably should have picked the dragons, but they'll, 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 maybe they'll prove me wrong. But um, I think it's great for D3 football. It's, it's nice to see that there will be somebody different in the stag bowl. Um, even if, if North central wins and, and, you know, basically wins their, you know, keeps the dynasty rolling, which is, you know, based on how they've looked. Um, and I, I talked to with a coach um, earlier this week who uh, kind of reinforced what I, th- I thought I saw from a, a fan tweet, basically saying that, you know, they've they focused in on this Chicagoland area where there's only, you know, 10 to 15 upper division schools in the whole greater area. They're really doing a great job recruiting that and getting people to buy into this system and buy into this program. And it's given them a competitive advantage. And so, yeah, they're able, they're, they've been able to exploit that. And um, there's no reason why they're uh, you know, the big favorites, but there are still three other teams alive in this tournament and all of them are great teams and you never know any given Saturday, anything can happen. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they all play out and it should be a fantastic game, um, ESPN Plus or whatever. <laughs> uh, so last time an East Region team, an actual East Region team back in the old four region setup was in the Stag Bowl, uh, was Rowan in 1999, uh, I believe because okay. Bridgewater is, was considered a South Region team at the time in 2001. South, um, yeah. 
So I don't see anything else at that before that. Now a New York team, as you're pointing out, uh, I'm going backward here. W and J was a South Region team, I think, in the pack back when too in 1994. Yeah. Just as a, a curiosity point, and in 1992, W and J has been to the Stag Bowl twice in the early 90s, which a lot of people forget about. But going back to the New York team, as you're pointing out. Union in 1989 was the last time. Ithaca won it, though, in 1988. That's the last East Region team to win a Stag Bowl uh, back in 1988. Mm. You're talking 35 years since an East Region team won the Stag Bowl or a New York team won the Stag Bowl, ultimately. Rowan had a lot of opportunities but just could never win the game. So. Uh, a lot of history on the line here, uh, and uh, go back if you're just joining us and hear the answer to the question about the left side of the bracket uh, being the automatic de facto Stag Bowl champion. Kurt Fitzpatrick, I think, uh, answered it respectfully uh, on our show earlier today. Yeah, Thanks to him uh, for joining us. I'm going to start the trek down to uh, toward Virginia a little bit later on uh, this afternoon, uh, heading to New York first, and then uh, we'll finish it out tomorrow morning. Uh, early, uh, so uh, we'll see where it goes. But JB, how are you going to watch this? Uh, you basically kind of let the cat out of the bag again. It's ESPN Plus, and so you get to watch one game at a time. Yeah. But are both games worth watching for you? Or are you going to just sit there all day and watch these things? Oh yeah, absolutely. And if um, you know, even if you can't afford um, or want to pay for ESPN Plus, there's you know great audio broadcasts. I know that the Randolph Macon, um, you know, the Hanover Sports Group does a nice job. Um, you know, calling the games on the uh, on the radio as well as you know, you'll get the the same thing for um, you know the uh, the Warburg um, the Warburg game. So you can there's a couple of different ways you can consume this, and yeah, I'll probably either be watching it on my you know TV at home or with a thing in my ear if I've I've been told to run out and do some errands. You know, we'll see. Got some family in town, so I'll be busy. Um, you know, kind of juggling that, but yeah. Um, it, it'll be nice. You'll have about a, you know, an hour break in between the two games. So, you know, you can load up on wings or pizza or whatever, you know, your football watching meal of choices and, and sit back and, and watch the four best teams in the country go at it. It'll be great. I'll be listening to game two, obviously, in my drive back toward New York uh, after the game is done. So I'll have uh, some company. Uh, Michael Reggie, uh, or Reggie, I think it is, uh, will be the play-by-play announcer for the uh, Cortland-Randolph-Macon game. I'm not sure who the crew is for the um, Western game, we'll call it, uh, later on, the North Central Mm. Wartburg game. But uh, one last thing, we want to pay quick honor here to the five finalists for the Gilardi Trophy that we announced yesterday. Again, we started the show talking yeah. about it. We'll end the show talking about it briefly here. Luke Lanen, junior quarterback from North Central College. Also, Braxton Plunk, the senior quarterback from the University of Mount Union. We got it right this time. Jake Breitbach, the senior wide receiver from Gustavus Adolphus. <laughs> Thank you. Yep, got it. Got it down this time. Owen Grover, the senior linebacker from Wartburg College. And the surprise fifth uh, finalist, and he was thrilled. I can tell you that for a fact. Uh, yesterday, Tucker oh, yeah. Horn, senior quarterback of Trinity of Texas. And so congratulations to them. We will be naming the winner in some format or another next week at the Stag Bowl during the pregame show in Salem, Virginia. Uh, I, I, do you have a prediction? I always ask you this, but who, who do you predict will get this thing? Well, you know, it's funny when you have um, it, it could go. I can see it going a couple two two ways, right? So there's the one way where it's just like they they 
give it to the guy who has you know maybe the best chance of actually playing in the stag bowl who theoretically from our picks is is uh, is Lanin. but i have a feeling in a in a group where it's four offensive players and one defensive player i think we, they might throw us a curveball and give it to the linebacker um owen grover he was at the um you know what was that award that was in campbell vegas Ward. The, um campbell so the Campbell Trophy, yeah, he went. Yeah, so he flew out to Vegas during the big, big. I mean, maybe that was, uh, you know, I I understand you know doing that for the honor and all that. I don't know how it disrupted the practice schedule or anything, but he's probably so good, at, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Um, you know, I, I they the committee has surprised us in the past where they gonna you know it looks like all offense and then they go with a defensive guy. I don't know. We'll see. That those are my those are my initial thoughts right off the top. We shall see. Yeah, I know who I, I know. I, I have out. a I have a biased favorite who I would pick, but you know that, we don't want to know about that. <laughs> <laughs> no biases on this show. No. Uh, well, folks, uh, this will be an exciting weekend. Uh, as uh, we did this week, uh, we will go toward uh, essentially Stag Bowl uh, morning uh, and give you a show to lead up to the actual Stag Bowl on Friday, uh, live from Salem, and so you'll want to join us for that as well. So, JB, uh, always fun, always a good time here with you. And thanks to Kurt Fitzpatrick again and for everybody that joined us. Yeah. Let's watch the semifinals. Who's getting to the Stag Bowl? Stag Bowl 50 in Salem. Coming up here this weekend. We'll see you next week and on Twitter throughout the weekend.